Hey, folks, this is the Black Nature Boy, Scoot Andrews, and you're listening to the Insider's Edge podcast. The following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Hi, everybody. This is former WWE superstar Al Snow. TWN is Sean Oliver. My name is Eugene. And you are watching the Insider's Edge podcast. Now get on the train. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury, and I'm sure you're sick of hearing me say the same thing each and every time. But hey, at least I wear a different shirt each time. I'm wearing my Sonic Youth shirt here today, but I'm very excited uh, to have the opportunity to talk to a, a wrestling legend from the state of Florida. He is an ECWA Hall of Famer. He's won many championships in the region and he's won many championships in other places as well. Uh, so without any further ado, it's my honor to introduce to you all the Black Nature Boy himself, Scoot Andrews. How are you, sir? I am doing well, man. How are you today? Yeah, doing fine. Doing fine. And I'm drinking some wine. So very uh, nice. You know, <laughs> 11 p.m. at night. So uh, you know, I like to partake in a in a in a little sip or two, but uh, uh, it's great to to be speaking with you today. And uh, you know, I've spent the last uh, hour and a half watching as many matches of yours as possible. Oh, um, God. <laughs> and you know, I like to do a deep dive and, and do a lot of research. And I guess the first question, Scoot on every single show we have is, is how did you become a wrestling fan when you were a young man? Well, um, I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, Championship wrestling from Florida came through there every Thursday night, uh, watching Gordon Soley every Saturday at one o'clock. You know, I just kind of got roped in at a very young age. Um, I had a neighbor um, across the street who was a huge fan, and they went every Thursday night, and I went with them. And it just became our weekly routine going to watch Dusty Rose, Jack Briscoe, uh, Buddy Colt, all the older names um, from Championship Wrestling from Florida. And I I mean, I would say in a year, I probably missed five Thursdays in an entire year. So, yeah, that kind of did it. Uh, huge football fan as well, but that was my thing on Thursday nights. And I just grew to love the sport, man. It was unbelievable. And then, you know, the, the guys I was watching, Dusty, Jack Briscoe, like I said, larger than life, man. Steve Kern and all these people I've actually, other than Jack Briscoe, God bless his soul. Um, I've met most of these people now, which is, you know, that was, that was unbelievable. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's what kind of wrote me in and I've been hooked ever since. Oh, that's cool, bro. It really helps with your wrestling fandom. The fact that the guys that you watched on television actually just perform like, a few miles down the road, uh, you know, yeah. every single week. That's crazy because, you know, I live in Perth, Western Australia. So, I mean, the opportunity to see your heroes perform live was just a very, very rare thing, uh, unless there was some sort of random tour of, uh, I guess, uh, guys a little bit over the hill, um, which was still mind-blowing for me. But, um, you know, that certainly helps, especially with the fandom. So you're also a football fan, but you love wrestling. You're growing up, you're a wrestling fan. You know, what's what's high school like and all that? What's what's your life like with your friends? Do you all love wrestling? You all watch it together? 
So, yeah, in, in high school, you know, it was all about playing football and running track. Um, I did have a group of friends who were big into it as well. So I think maybe late, I'm not going to tell you what year I went to high school, uh, <laughs> but my senior year in high school, I think is probably when WCW started to take over. I'm thinking, I mean, that's a long time ago. Um, so they weren't quite in Jacksonville every Thursday like they had been in my youth. Uh, but there was a group of us that went when they were there um, and we watched it religiously. So, yeah, you know, my high school years were all about playing ball, running track, lifting weights, trying to get a college scholarship and uh, chasing girls. Pretty much. That was it. <laughs> we, we had very similar uh, 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 upbringings there as, as we got into our teenage years there, Scoot. Um, uh, I chased girls. I played basketball, though. Uh, and I had a group of friends that liked wrestling as well. So I always see those similarities with me and, and the guests that we have on the show. Uh, sure. So, okay, you, you want to get into college and you want to get that scholarship. What happens with all that? And, and did, did that take place? It did, actually. Um, you know, I had a little adversity with four games left in the season. And I broke my hand. Um, ended up getting a cast and my season was over and I thought I was done. Um, so one Friday, the next Friday, I sat and systematically cut the cast off my arm and taped it back on. So it would be softer. And I proceeded to play the next four games with a broken hand with a soft cast, which is probably <laughs> why I have arthritis in my wrist now. Um, but I did end up getting a, uh, getting a full ride to Wofford college in uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina. They're in the Southern conference now, um, uh, played there for four years and, always a wrestling tie-in, the Spartanburg Memorial Auditorium, the parking lot butted up against the parking lot for my dormitory, um, and Mid-Atlantic <laughs> Championship Wrestling used to film TV in the Spartanburg Auditorium, so I got my wrestling fix about once every two months, got to go watch, you know, TV tapings for Mid-Atlantic, and then you're watching, you know, Dusty again, then when I finally got to see my namesake, if you will, Ric Flair. Um, every every time they came in, the Four Horsemen were huge during that point. And wow. a couple of times we were able to kind of be security backstage as as football players. Um, you know, obviously the police did their job, but, you know, they recruited a few football players to, you know, police the parking lot and then, like, guard certain doors to stop people from going in. So a couple of times I got to guard the door that went backstage and, you know, the workers would come out every now and then just to – smoke a cigarette, get some fresh air. And I actually got to meet some of those guys for the first time there, which is pretty cool. So <laughs> not with a wrestling tie in, no matter what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I try to get off track and talk about something else. It's straight back to wrestling. Always. Uh, <laughs> always back to wrestling. Um, so when was the point? Okay. You know, this is the exposure you've had to the business. You've been now working a little bit of security, but when do you finally just get the chance to be like, did you go to someone and say, what do I have to do to get into the business? How did you figure out? Because back then it would have been very difficult to figure it out because there weren't thousands upon thousands of wrestling schools around the place like there are now. It was a much more protected business as well back then. How did you get yourself into the business? So um, I graduated, played ball four years, graduated. Obviously, no professional football in my future. Um, so I went back to Jacksonville and you know, got my first real job and 
I'm trying to scratch that athletic itch playing softball, playing flag football. It was just, you know, it's what it was. Um, so coincidentally, I joined a fraternity when I was at Wofford. Our football team took over a fraternity. And I get home and come to find out a lot of my high school buddies who were into wrestling, there's that tie-in again, um, were in the same fraternity. We didn't even know it until I got home and realized we're in the same fraternity. So I started, you know, hanging out with those guys and we decided we were going to do a rush event to recruit new fraternity members. And we were going to put on our own Pi Kappa Phi wrestling show. <laughs> um, so we went out to find a ring and obviously we didn't know what in the blue hell we were doing. Um, but we found a local promotion in Jacksonville that was putting on a show that week of the weekend, we decided we were going to do it. So four of us went to go watch that show and then inquire from those guys about renting their ring. Right. So it was called, I think it was called renegade championship wrestling at the time. Um, we get there, you know, we find the owner, we talk to him about renting his ring. I'm pretty sure he, uh, he gouged us. We didn't know any better. Um, but he agreed to rent us the ring. So we watched the show. It was, it was, I mean, it was a decent show. It was pretty good. Um, after the show was over, I asked that individual, you know, you guys, you know, I watched it. I was like, I think actually, now obviously it was independent wrestling. So some of the guys weren't as big as they were at WC, WWF uh, at the time, WCW. I was probably about 180 pounds at the time. Um, so I asked him, you know, you know, how do we, how do, how would I even get into this if I wanted to do this? Um, one of the workers, uh, hot stuff, Damian Lee, big on the indie scene in, around the Jacksonville area, he was a tiny guy as well. But he heard heard me ask the question, and you know, when the owner kind of him and hawed and walked off, trying to protect the business, he came over and goes, "I'll train you." <laughs> like, okay, uh, <laughs> so he. Took me out to his little um, hole in the wall, little farm looking thing out in, near Green Coast Springs. Um, There's a ring underneath like an outdoor shed and him and his manager um, just basically gave me one-on-one -on -one training for six weeks. Um, now, granted, we had already done the fraternity show and did a pretty decent job at it. I would have to say, I look at it now, it looks stupid as hell, but it felt like we were doing <laughs> what we were supposed to be doing. Um, so I kind of had an idea of a lot of the moves. Um, not to say that I knew what the hell I was doing by any means, because I did not. Um, but had a pretty good head start on it. And six weeks later, I made my debut against Damien. Obviously, I wrestled him for like the first eight months of my career um, on every local show in Jacksonville, which is probably about once a month, once every three weeks. Um, and then it just kind of took off from there. Uh, and then I met Hack Myers from ECW uh, a couple of years later, and that's when it really started to take off. So that's a long-winded story, but that's how I got in. <laughs> wow, that is cool. So yeah, it was September 24th, 1994, uh, the first match with Hot Stuff Damian Lee. Uh, Look, I, I, before I get to my next set of questions, you, you brought up the name Hack Myers. And, well, if you, the name Hack Myers gets brought up, then I need to ask you about him. He's, uh, I, I think he, he was 
absolutely tremendous at what he did. I've seen a lot of uh, his early ECW work. Um, what was it like when you met him and, and how did he help you out along your journey in wrestling? So I actually met him over the phone. Um, he somehow got my number from another wrestler. Uh, he had seen me doing a show in Palm Coast, Florida. Um, I can't even remember what the name of the, the, uh, the promotion was, but he saw me there. Um, he had a show booked at Florida Championship Wrestling, the new version down in Miami, which was being promoted by Bill Brown. Um, and he called me up and said that the guy he was supposed to work, who he had previously worked in ECW, broke his leg and could not make that trip. And of all the guys that he saw in the show, he thought he could have a decent match with me. And he asked me if I was available to go down to Miami. And I'm like, go further than Palm Coast, like Daytona area? Hell yeah, I'm in. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I didn't really know who Hack Myers was at the time. I'd heard the name, but um, it was early stages of ECW when he was in there. And I didn't really watch ECW that much in Jacksonville because it wasn't on TV there very often. Um, so when Hack pulled up to pick me up to head down to Miami, um, he rang my doorbell, opened the door, and there stood a 340-pound man with a mohawk hanging down in front of his face, a beard down the ear. And I'm like, what in the hell did I get myself into? Now, again, I'm only about 190 at that point. Um, and he's 340. And I'm like, oh, God, what did I do? Um, but we drive from Jacksonville to Miami, eight hours, seven and a half hours. He had no AC in his car, so the windows were down. And we proceeded to just talk wrestling the entire eight hours. Um, we get down there and we had an, we had a female wrestler in the car with us too. Her name was, uh, Riptide. I think her name was, and she was actually going to be working Molly Holly. Uh, but I forgot what her, what her name was prior to that, but we get down there and, you know, me and Hacker in the semi-main event. I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> the place has got a, probably about 800 people packed into it. It's hot. It's, wow. you know, it's what you would expect from a major independent and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm peeing myself. So I'm like, what am I going to do? <laughs> I'm not ready for this. <laughs> but we went out and uh, he took great care of me. Uh, he put me through three or four tables and we had a great match. Um, it was very easy to play babyface with uh, Hack because he was such a great heel. And that started a friendship and that started uh, my ascent I guess you could say in professional wrestling he basically took what Damien taught me and took it to you know 10 levels higher um I would never ever ever have been able to be on WWE TV if it had not been for Hack Myers I never would have made it in, been in the Super 8 I probably never would have left the state of Florida if it weren't for Hack um he ended up being in my wedding uh he ended up being goddad to my kids wow um, he is uh with all of his flaws that he had, he was deep down one of the, the best human beings you ever want to meet. And he wouldn't show that, that, that part of himself to everybody. But, you know, uh, I, I've, I've only dropped to my knees crying three times in my life. And that's when I lost my father. Um, I lost my grandparents. And then when Hack passed away, um, that one, that one hurt me. But I owe him everything in the wrestling business. So, God, I understand, God. bro. 
Absolutely, man. And uh, I didn't realize, you know, how uh, close you two were. All I saw was uh, through my research that he helped train you. I didn't realize it was such a tight friendship. So that like, thank you for sharing that, bro. That's really, uh, really appreciated. And uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's kind of the first time he's been brought up on the show. So that's nice that the first story is incredibly heartfelt. Um, another question I had, you know, because I, I just want to know, how did you get the name Scoot Andrews? Where, where, were that, where did that come from? <laughs> so Scoot actually is my given nickname. I don't know if that's such a thing as a given nickname. But my, um, my family named me Scoot because I was super tiny when I was born. I was born two and a half months premature. Oh, wow. So it started out as Scooter, but by the time I became 10, 11 years old, it had been shortened to Scoot. So that is my guy-given nickname by all my friends. <laughs> if you talk to anyone prior to me meeting my wife, they would not even know who Andrew was. Um, they only know Scoot. Everybody post-life knows me as Andrew. Um, so it went through a couple of iterations, Scoot Anderson, Scoot, I forgot, there's a couple other last names, but it just somehow ended up being my nickname and my first name, plural, and we went from there. The Black Nature Boy was a thing that came because my absolute love of the work of Ric Flair. Um, early on in my career in the Damian Lee days, you know, I did the woos and the chops and I would do the three steps and pace playing. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I kind of figured I'm working with Hack kind of helped me understand this. And then just, you know, traveling all over Florida, seeing so many different workers and, 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 and performers, I kind of realized, you know, I got to make my own version of this name and not try to be like Ric Flair. Right. Um, I, I'm going to buy dye my hair blonde, to be honest with you, but <laughs> glad I did not do that because it's falling out anyway. It probably would have fallen out a lot faster. Um, so, yeah, Scoot Andrews is actually a version of my nickname and my real name so that's how that came about and that's how the black nature boy right cool well you've now just answered my next question was when did you just that. decide that the world needed a black nature boy and uh I, I was looking through old footage and i was like damn i was i was hoping to see him come out with some really extravagant coats uh <laughs> and robes early and on early on i did have a uh i bought a robe from chris <laughs> nelson um when he was off and on doing like one of the heavenly bodies um, with Vito Danucci. Uh, he had a older version of one of the heavenly body robes, which I would wear every now and then. And then they became the heavenly bodies again. So I gave it back. All uh, right. Yeah. But I would wear that every now and then. And then I started, you know, I, I kind of wanted to show off. I, I like to use baby oil to right. look bigger. And when you wear a robe, it, it, white, it comes right off. Yeah. So that, that morphed into sequin and glittery vest, but finally I just like, you know what, I'm done with it. I'm tired of buying these things. So I just went with nothing at all. But yeah, I did use the robes for a little bit, but you know, again, it was much like Ric Flair. So I was like, I'm going to just, you know, go my own way here and, and go yeah. without the robe. No, so. fair enough. And you got to accentuate those muscles with the baby oil there, bro. I mean, it's especially when you're not very, when you're only 210 pounds, you got to do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so speaking of, you know, of Florida and the, the scene back then, can you tell me what the Florida wrestling scene was like in the mid nineties? You know I mean? You've got ECW, you've got WCW, you've got the WWF. There's, I'm sure there's a few other things going on around the country, but what specifically was that scene like during that time? So there were, there were a handful of really good promotions back then. Um, there was uh, Florida championship wrestling in Miami with Bill Brown. There was Future of Wrestling in Fort Lauderdale with, um, oh, God, Bobby Rogers. There was Florida Wrestling Alliance or Association in Fort Pierce with, um, oh God, what was his name? Dadgummit. His last name was Anderson. Cliff Anderson. Cliff Anderson. Cliff Sheets. Um, then you had Renegade up in Jacksonville. And there was CCW in Melbourne with... Uh, um, what was his name? God Almighty. I want to prepare for all this. Uh, <laughs> Bill Weaver. Bill Weaver. So those were like the major loops in Florida. Um, and then there was one in Winter Haven that was run by Al Hardiman. Now, when I first started, the one in Winter Haven was probably the houses were 1,500, 800 at, at a minimum. Um, wow. A was about 300, 400. Um, Florida championship was about five to six future wrestling, same thing. And then, uh, I came upon one in Tampa called IPW, which ended up being my home promotion once I moved to Tampa. And that one, you know, we had a little small hole in the wall called the WrestlePlex and we packed as many people as we could into that bad boy. And I think at capacity with the doors open and people all the way out into the parking lot was probably... 300 400 but all of them um paid what they said they were going to pay and had decent houses had great workers and the good thing about florida is pretty much all the workers were the same there were a handful that didn't leave their promotion and go to others but you know the few of us that uh did them all we pretty much did them all together so we always had people to ride with but it was a good time man i can't i can't i can't you know a lot of people have bad things to say about their time in the indies and how it was, you know, hard work with no pay and, you know, just not very fun. I, mean, I, I had a blast, dude. It, great guys, great promoters, great fans. It, it was a good time. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, no, I've had a few people on the show who have been uh, uh, not so happy about their days uh, <laughs> on the indies and all that. But uh, uh, this is something that just came to mind just now. Do, do you agree with the whole thing that, if things with the the top companies aren't going so well, does that trickle down and affect how things are going in the indie? So when the WWF is at its hottest and WCW, they're getting all these ratings, people probably locally want to go out and see some wrestling. Does that mean the house is always bigger because the top companies are doing well? And when business is down with the top companies, does that mean business goes down for you guys as well? From what I've seen, Yes. Um, I'm very lucky in that I broke in in the, in the 90s. You know, the whole Attitude Era in WWE or WF at the time. WCW was, was still pretty hot. Um, so I came in at a time where, you know, the big guys were doing well. And then transition, I got out. I, you're never really out. I don't know. I don't want to use the word out. But <laughs> I stopped wrestling um, a lot in 2007 or was it 2000 2005 2007 right around the time 
2005 was when my youngest was born. I wanted, it was 2005. Um, so that, I think that was when they all started to dip a little bit. So I was mm-hmm. in hot and I got, I got out when it started to dip, which is, I guess, straight up luck. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the, the IPWs, the FOWs of the world, um, and IPW and NWA Florida merged at one point during all that, which was a really hot time here in Tampa. Um, they had their core 200, 250 fans that would always show up no matter what the heck was going on. Yeah. Um, but you know, every now and then IPW NWA Florida would run a big show. We had a place to call it Pinellas Expo Center. And, you know, they would bring in a couple of names, just, you know, get those extra WCW, WWE folks. Um, I know we had one, you know, one, two, three kid, X-Pac. We had um, Kevin Sullivan a couple of times. I think we even had uh, Love of the Love Sponge, which was crazy. Uh, but we grew some big houses at the Pinellas Expo Center for IPW and NWA Florida. And we kind of... Uh, use that as like a pay-per-view type scenario where we used IPW and they had TV at the time on uh, the CW to build up to those shows like once every six months. And that was, that was freaking, that was when it was really fun because yeah. it was our own little yeah. homegrown thing. I had a say in the booking. Um, I was their top guy, even though we had so many other guys they could have chosen. Think, you know, Ron Neely decided I was going to be his top guy at that point. Um, and then that, that is when I kind of got into the eyes of some people and how I ended up in the ECWA Super 8, which then got me into doing dark matches and, you know, squash matches for WWE. So it all paid off in the end, but yeah, it was, it was good times. Yeah, that's cool, man. And I had a little funny thought when you mentioned that you got out just as uh, things were going down. That means you can't get blamed for it going down. It's uh, it's very (laughs) <laughs> uh, so please tell me a little bit about the ECWA Super 8. This uh, seems like something that's a real important part of your history and, and uh, your time in the wrestling business. Yeah. So um, Kevin Kelly, the whole Black Nature Boy name caught Kevin Kelly's eye. Um, and he asked, he was good, in good with Chris Nelson. I don't know if you know who Chris Nelson is. He was in the Heavenly Bodies. Um, he actually, him and I did Jerry Springer together a couple of times. Um, but Kevin was helping, uh, Jim Kettner book in ECWA. So it was right about the time of the super eight and, um, Jim Kettner's nephew, it was Jeff Peterson. I don't know if you remember that name. Um, Jeff Peterson passed away at a very young age, uh, here in Florida, but he was from up in Delaware where ECWA was. So Jeff was going to be in a super eight that year. Um, a guy named Jet Jaguar, who was at IPW, who signed with WCW, was in it. And they needed, like, one more spot filled. And Kevin saw a tape of me with Hack. And he was like, all right, that's the guy. We got. We want him. So I'm in. So I didn't really know what to expect. It was my first time pretty much leaving the state of Florida to work. So I didn't realize how big a deal the Super 8 was. I mean, I knew who had been in it prior and mostly everybody who had been in it prior was either on WCW or WWF at the time, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking, all right, well, I'm going to be great exposure. Okay. I'm in, let's go. So we fly up, Kettner picks us up and all eight of us are staying in the same hotel. We, you know, 
get up Saturday morning, have breakfast, and Kettner lays out the plan for the show and then informs me that I'm going to make it to the finals. I'm like, whoa, wait, whoa, <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Um, so I got to work with Trent Asset first, which, God bless his soul, was you know probably one of the better matches I've ever had. Um, and I, and now granted, you got to remember that Florida was very old school in the way we worked. And then I'm going up North where everything's high spots and, you know, a lot of flipping and flopping and all this running. And, and I wasn't used to that for one, yeah. I'm used to working as a big man, even though I was only 210 pounds. Um, so I get up there and me and Trent have a great match. And then I realize when I'm done with him that, that Oh my God, I got to do two more matches and I am absolutely gassed. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I got super lucky in that Chad Collier uh, was my second opponent. And I don't know if you know who that is, but I've Chad, heard the name for years. Yeah. Yeah. He was trained by the great Malenko. He was trained basically in Florida um, and he cut his teeth over in Japan. So he was more methodical, slower paced. So that, that was what I needed for that second match, which was thank God. And then I end up in the finals with uh, Christopher Dames. Yeah. <laughs> who basically got me through the last five minutes of that match by moving my body around because I was absolutely done. I couldn't even <laughs> freaking feel my legs by the time we were done. But he is such a great talent that you would, you look at that tape, you would not even tell that he was basically moving me where I needed to be every single time. Um, and that, and then that forged probably my second greatest, I say third, third greatest friendship in the business with me and Christopher Daniels. Um, he was supposed to be in my wedding as well, but he got booked in Japan. And I told him if he canceled his booking in Japan, I would kill him. Uh, so he went over there and did his, uh, uh, forgot what that damn thing where he wore the rice on his head. Oh, uh, the, uh, curry man. Curry man. Curry man. <laughs> so he went over there, but you know, he did he did send us a very nice present and he should have been in the wedding but he you know, he had to go make a living so that's good of course um but me and christopher ended up being really 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 good friends and if you look over my shoulder here there's a picture that he sent me of me and him in the match in the super eight when i wow. retired um and basically it says you know every aisle you walk you were a champion thanks for being a great friend Christopher that's Davis. nice. Ah, that's cool, yeah. bro. <laughs> Great guy. And we still catch up every now and then. Um, but I would say my two greatest friendships in the business were Hack Myers and Christopher Daniels. Awesome, man. Uh, yeah, and, and obviously Christopher Daniels certainly made a big name for himself, and I will bring him up again a little bit later on uh, because it's essential to this story, that's for sure. Um, yeah. In my research, 9th of May, 1999, you work on uh, Super Astros for the WWF <laughs> against Super Loco, who we all know is super crazy. Yeah. Um, so I've seen a few episodes of Super Astros. Um, and obviously, interesting concept to grab that, uh, I guess, that Latin audience. Uh, was this the first time that you had worked in the WWF? Uh, as far as my research is concerned, it is, but um, please tell me if I'm wrong. Man, you, your research is absolutely spot on. That was my very first match with the WWF. Wow. Um, I think our 
agents for that match were Savio Vega and uh, Ricky Santana. And Super Crazy could not speak a lick of English at that All point. Right. He was straight from Mexico at that point. Um, so as we are kind of going through what we're gonna do on TV, um, we had, they had to translate everything to him. Um, and then whatever he said, they had to translate to me. And then all I can think in my mind is if anything goes wrong, I'm not gonna be able to talk to this dude and figure out you know, how to cover this up. So it had to be perfect. Um, <laughs> side note to that, um, that very first WWF match just happened to be, and you know, this is, you know, people talk about karma and all that stuff, but it just happened to be in the Jacksonville Coliseum that I used to go to when I was a kid, my oh, entire right. And <laughs> as I walked out of, down that ramp and just looked out into the arena, I'm just like, holy crap. <laughs> I can't believe this is where I'm starting. Yeah. You know, my WWF matches in the place where it all began, which is crazy that it even worked out that way. Um, but we were going to have a decent match. Um, didn't really need to talk any spots through in the ring because everything went well. And he's a, he's a hell of a talent. He was very, very good. Um, and it was cool because I had a lot of people in that arena who knew who I was. So there were a lot of scoot chants. And as I got backstage, you know, a couple of agents, Tony Garea being one of them, walked up and was like, man, you're pretty popular here, huh? <laughs> so it was cool <laughs> to have my name being chanted during that match. But um, I still have, actually, I still have the VHS tape from that match. And it's, you know, obviously all the announcing is in Spanish, but yeah, it, it was, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, that's great, bro. Yeah, we had Ricky Santana on the show maybe about six months ago. Uh, great crazy. guy. And, uh, <laughs> um, so <clears throat> what I'm going to do here, Scoot, is um, I'm going to name off all of these dark matches or matches that you did on TV with the WWF, one after another, up until we get to about uh, June of 2001. If there's okay. a story there, tell me. If not, we'll move on. Okay, um, But this is for me, this is the nerdy part of me coming out, wanting to know the ins and outs of every intricate detail. I really sure. love it. Uh, 11th of April, 2000, a dark match against somebody you know very well, Mike Sullivan on Sunday Night Heat. Um, please, is there a story there? Oh, well, anytime Mike Sullivan's mentioned there's a story, him and I were uh, tag team partners for years. Yeah. Um, he, he was uh, marvelous. Mike Sullivan, I was black nature boy and our name was naturally marvelous. Yeah. Um, we carried the IPW straps for and the NWA Florida straps for off and on for two or three, four years. Wow. Um, still, really, still really good friend. Um, and that was actually in Tampa and I tried out a new finish in that match that I stole from Christopher Daniels. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it got over, so I was happy, but yeah, it was a good time. It was in here in Tampa. That was my, uh, Probably my second match, I think, with WWE. Okay, okay, cool. I'm, I'm doing well so far with the timeline. 12th of June, 2000. Now, this is, um, yeah, two months later against Jason Lee on Jacked uh, or WWF Metal, depending on where, where it aired. Uh, do you remember that one? Yes, it was in Milwaukee. And I was supposed to work someone else. And 10 minutes before we went live, maybe 20 minutes, uh, they changed it to Jason Lee. And we had about 15 minutes to put something together. <laughs> so we just went out there. 
that was probably the only TV match I've ever done where we just winged it. Right. Because normally they want to know, you know, it's got to be laid out a certain way for your agents. And the agent was like, it's on you guys, just go. And we went. I was probably the most nervous I've ever been in, in a WWE. Wow. Excellent. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Uh, 20th of November, 2000 against Al Snow. Again, on Jacked. Uh, I just watched this about 40 minutes ago. Uh any, any stories on working with Al? Super nervous because I knew he was such a great worker and Hack had talked so greatly about him. Um, Hack was there that day. He, he did another dark match, so he introduced us. Um, great guy, man. Funny as hell. He was cracking yeah. me up. In the room. I'm glad. I, they probably cut out the parts where I was laughing, but he was killing me, man. He is awesome. <laughs> and uh, just so you know, when he gives you head, that thing hurts. <laughs> I was going to say, it looked pretty Freaking good. rubber and it, yeah, he, he lays it in with that bad boy. I was not ready for that. <laughs> and that is, that is how he won the match. He, uh, you got, and, the, and you have, you know, have the distinction of saying that I lost after being smacked in the head with heads. So absolutely. Um, absolutely. And, and it's an honor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 22nd of January, 2001 against SA Rios again on Jacked. Yeah, that was in uh, Lafayette, Louisiana, in the Cajun Dome. And um, I don't know if you can tell at the very beginning of that match, I freaking blew a spot, and we covered it up pretty well. But um, I blew it, and every time I see him to this day, I apologize. But we covered it up, I think. Um, He was fun to work with. He was super fun. Uh, He went to – I don't know if you watched that match, but he – did a dive over the corner post. Oh, it's crazy when he does that. Yeah. (laughs) He didn't get enough air and he was about to land short. And the very end, I had to throw myself out to save him. Um, And all the agents and Kevin Kelly and those guys were uh, praising me for, you know, sacrificing to make sure he didn't. Yeah, I'm like, like, it was reaction, bro. Like I said, let me save this guy. No, (laughs) and we ended up having a decent decent match, even though I blew the first spot. But here's what it is. Yep, Uh, I got two two more before we take a break for me asking you about all these uh TV matches. 12th of March, it's nearly two months later, you face Crash Holly on Jacked. That was in the Staples Center in LA, which was freaking awesome. That's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. I got to uh, see that that monstrosity of a building is absolutely beautiful. Um, he was super easy. He's a hell of a nice guy too, man. He was awesome. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Molly Holly was probably she was with him. Yeah. yeah. So big old full loop story. You know, Molly was big in Florida. She made it in WCW, moved on to WWF. She ends up being a part of our match. So that was pretty cool to work with her after knowing her back in the day when she was super young um, and traveling with her. So. It was yeah. cool. It was very cool. That was fun. Uh, that's cool. Big shout out to her because the cream rises to the top and you could tell with her, there, there was no stopping her. She was going to be a great one day, especially when I saw her early WCW wrestling in a dress in bare feet and still just that didn't, yeah. no problem at all. Went out there, killed it. had to be hands down the nicest person on the planet. I mean, I know you probably hear that all the time, but she was is still currently one of the nicest people you'll ever meet, which it's great to see people like her make it because yeah. I mean, she had no ill bone in her body. She's just right. that nice. nothing but great things to say about her. 
Excellent, bro. Yeah, no, every time I hear anyone talk about it, I've never heard anyone say one bad thing. Um, and the last one before I get to the big question that I want to ask is 23rd of June, 2001, you and your good friend, Christopher Daniels, on Jack to take on Kai and Ty. <laughs> that was freaking hilarious. Um, those guys are just, they're great workers. A uh, little side story to that match was Chris, uh, Daniels and I did a dark match the night before in Tampa. Okay, uh, that was the match I watched earlier as well. Yeah, so we did that match and then we jumped in the car, drove down I-4, this, you know, Tampa and Orlando, about an hour and 15 minutes apart, one highway to get there. Um, and we had a flat tire on the way there. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember Ivory and a couple of other people, as we got to the building, asked us if that was us on the side of the road. And we're like, yeah, why didn't you stop that? <laughs> but they, <laughs> you know, they didn't realize until they had passed. And luckily, we had a Florida Highway Patrolman stopping, you know, jacked the car up, helped us change the tire. We hooked them up with two tickets for, for that night. And okay. we went and worked those guys. But they were so much fun. And at the very end of that match, if you – I don't know. They, they used the camera angle to kind of cover it up. But um, not Taka, the other one. Uh, Funaki. Funaki. Yeah. He was supposed to backdrop me over the top. And he asked me which shoulder. I told him left. So as I, you know, go into the spot, he gives me his right. <laughs> and he barely gets me over. So I have to force myself over the top rope. I was going to do the full, you know, Randy Macho Man, hold the rope, go all the way over. Land on my feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I uh, didn't get enough momentum, so I had to basically throw myself over the rope somehow. <laughs> which, if you look at the way they did the camera, you can't really tell. But it, And to this day. Um, every time I, if I run into Funaki, he goes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> really? <laughs> Which is awesome. But that match was so much fun. Those guys were great. They were freaking amazing. And then when the match was over, I just remember Arn Anderson coming up to Chris and I and just saying, you know, cause he's a huge fan of tag matches. And, uh, I don't know if he was our agent that night, but he came up and told us that was one hell of a tag match. So if Arn Anderson is telling me that I'm going to take it. <laughs> I wish I had an iPhone back then so I could have recorded it and say <laughs> Absolutely. Right. <laughs> um, so here's the big question that I want to ask. Look, look at all this. Look at all these matches you've had. It, it, it's so rare that uh, one guy gets featured on these shows so often and doesn't end up getting signed. I know Kevin Kelly was obviously a very big supporter of you, but at this point, you're getting all this great feedback constantly why has Scoot Andrews not been signed by the WWF? So it's a weird situation. Um, I had a job, a real job at the time, um, as a corporate sales trainer, um, which I got that job because I was a wrestler, because the guy who hired me was a huge wrestling fan. <laughs> okay. So I am the selling skills trainer for a national um, telecom company, and we have offices in every major city in America, right? Um, so I basically could go to my boss and say, I want to do a selling skills class in Milwaukee on Wednesday, but I'm going to go out on Monday and do Raw and SmackDown and then do the class on Wednesday. Right. And he would basically go, all right, go ahead. So I would fly out, expense the trip on work, uh, <laughs> 
Well, first I would, you know, I would call uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard and see, and see where he had openings. Okay. And then I would book the trainings around where they had openings and where he could get me in. And I would basically fly on my own dime, well, the company's dime, and do Raw and SmackDown, do my training class, fly back home, and then do indie shows on the weekend. So it was, it was a great gig. But I think that screwed me in the end because they knew they could get me anytime they needed me. And this is from the work from Kevin's mouth. Basically, they're like, why sign him when we can book him anytime we need him? Um, so it kind of, and you know, Vince was not really into smaller guys back then. He had Crash right. and he had Spike, but that was it. Everybody else was pretty big. Um, so I was lucky enough to work all over the country for him, not under contract. <laughs> which is crazy yeah um and it got to a point where some of the boys backstage wondered why I, they were like you know i thought you were on the contract dude you're in la last week now you're in milwaukee this week i thought you were with us yeah but i never had a chance so um he did give me uh kevin kelly hooked me up with a tryout with wcw and billy fives and i went together for that tryout um sarge I don't know if you've heard the stories about of Sarge course. at the power plant. Oh, my God. So, basically, my tryout match was on spaghetti legs from start to finish because we had just conditioned for three straight days. Oh, my gosh. It was the absolute – I mean, I don't know if I can cuss on it, but it was the shits. <laughs> it was horrible. So, did not get hired. And um, Kevin just said, you know what, we're just going to continue to use you wherever you can go. And it worked out. And then, you know, when you start getting booked on – WCW, I mean, WWE shows all the time, you start getting calls from independents all over. So, yeah, uh, ended up being a Midwest heavyweight champion for Midwest Championship Wrestling out of Chicago for two years, working with people like CM Punk, um, AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels was there as well. And that was good. And then I got to go out to APW out in California and work or Roland Alexander. Um, and then there was people out there like Mike Modest and um, I forgot the other guy's name. But I actually ended up meeting um, the big Indian guy from WWE. I can't remember what his wrestling name was for Vince. But, oh, my God, he was in the Lonely Shore with The Rock. Oh, the great Khali. Yeah, Khali. Khali. <laughs> I met him when he was a student in California out there when we were doing shows and he was just breaking into the business and he was, he was probably about 200 pounds at the, at that time. And really? that's all he, he was a string. He was beanpole. Um, but I met him and then next thing you know, he becomes, you know, big star, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, you know, I had a really good paying job and I'm, I'm one of the few who, you know, this wasn't my sole income source. Right. So, yeah, not getting signed, did it hurt me? Yeah, it did. I mean, I really wanted to be. But at the end of the day, I was still able to see the country, um, leave the country a couple times and work, and yeah, live my dream. So at the end of the day, it worked out for me. You know, most people, if they had my non-signing type career and that was their sole income, probably would not be able to look at it the same way I look at it. Yeah, absolutely, man. I can totally see that. It's like uh, they always say, have something to fall back on if this doesn't work out. And you had that there, but 
in a way it almost uh, hampered your chances of getting the thing that that was your goal of being signed by the big company, even though you was working there just as much as almost anyone else. Uh, that is, you know, uh, I, I also think what may have hurt me is, you know, I didn't go to a reputable school. Like I didn't get trained by killer Kowalski. I didn't get trained right. by Steve. I didn't get trained by the great Malenko. Um, so I think that may have had a little bit to do with it as well. Right. So. I get you. Um, so like, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you're, you're no pun intended. You're one of the Kings of the Indies, you know, uh, at this time, you know, and you talk about all those guys that, uh, were in the Indies at that time, you see in punks, your AJ styles, your Christopher Daniels, your American dragons and all that stuff. Um, one thing I want to talk to you about before I bring up this King of the Indies tournament with Christopher Daniels, uh, your point of view from being someone who is so popular in the, within the indie scene in the United States, ECW and WCW go out of business. How does this affect the indies in your scene and also affect the efforts of yourself and others to get signed to the WWE? Because now there is two rosters of people, some getting signed, but some wanting to get signed, but have to go to the indies to wait their turn. Now, all of a sudden, you might be, let's say, for example, 12th in line to maybe get a contract. Now you get pushed down because you've got Tommy Dreamer and, you know, all these people from WCW wanting jobs as well in the big company. Uh, how did that affect the indie scene? And also, you know, well, these guys are going to get booked on the indies. So now some guys are going to get pushed down the card a little bit because you've got guys from television come to the sure. Um, On the indies, it wasn't. I mean, for me personally, it wasn't um, a big deal. It, it wasn't a big, it wasn't a bad deal uh, because a lot of the guys that were being pushed down to the Indies, I ended up working with. So I stayed at the top of the card and it was against those guys. Okay, cool. Um, which was great. Um, but, you know, there were some people that were the top of the card or maybe, you know, semi-main uh, after intermission type guys that ended up, you know, before intermission guys. Um, so I, I can see where that could have, could have hampered their careers. Um, but at that time, WWE was still using extras and, you know, had four spots on every show for the guys to come in and do dark matches and do, you know, job matches for jacked and metal and thunder or whatever else we were on. So that didn't really hurt us. They just had too many people up there doing their thing, but for the guys that, that were coming in to do dark matches and stuff, they, they still use them. So that didn't affect us at all. Um, okay. It actually just gave us different people to work with. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's cool, bro. I, uh, you know, I just yeah. wanted to see your insight on, on that situation. Cause I just, I wasn't sure whether or not it was a difficult process or an easy process of, of all these people now looking for, for work. Sure. On, uh, different areas of the country. Um, so yes, uh, you, you had the, we, we, we spoken already about the, uh, the super eight, um, yes. in, uh, Newport, Delaware, but, uh, February 26th, you again face Christopher Daniels at the APW King of the Indies tournament, uh, losing to him in the semifinals on, sorry, this was on December 30th. Uh, yes. the first one was February 26th, uh, but another tournament and another loss to Christopher Daniels. 
is Christopher <laughs> Daniels, the uh, kryptonite of the <laughs> Black Nature Boy. <laughs> Starting to see a trend here, aren't we? Um, you know, yeah, he was my kryptonite um, outside of Florida. But in Florida, I was his kryptonite. So that was always <laughs> the only problem is the matches we did in Florida and in these didn't have the national exposure <laughs> that the ones that we did in these tournaments. But man, you talk about just absolute joy to work with, man. He's just his mind for the business and just to be able to lay out, a, put a match together with him is just, it's like, it's the easiest thing. It's like riding a bike. He's unbelievable. Um, our matches, I don't think we've ever had a bad match ever. You know, I, I would say our worst match was that Super 8 final because I was not used to that pace of work. Yeah. Um, and then after that, um, IPW started bringing in the guys from the Super 8 to come to Florida to book, you know, Scoot Andrews versus Christopher Daniels and all the indie marks uh, all over Florida showed up to watch that one. But, you know, I got used to that style of work and, you know, working with him and AJ Styles and, um, um, low key and those guys, man, it just, you know, it, I was able to keep up at, by the time we got to the King of Indy. So we had a better match. Um, but, you know, you get in one of those tournaments, Christopher Daniels going to the finals. It doesn't really matter who's mm -hmm. on the card. <laughs> so <laughs> it is what it is, man. You know, your place, you know, your place in this business. Um, but always being put with him was such a honor because people knew they were going to get a good match between the two of us, which is awesome. Yeah, cool, bro. Well, I'm getting to the point of the show now where it's time to talk about Naturally Marvelous with Mike Sullivan. Um, and I just want to know if you had any stories on you guys working together as a team and feuding with the Strong Brothers and, and any memorable angles that you guys uh, did for anyone out there that might be wondering what Scoot Andrews and Mike Sullivan in Naturally Marvelous did together. So it started out with us being rivals. Obviously, that's most the best tag teams on the planet started out with two guys that were huge rivals. Um, he was a consummate babyface. He used to be Freedom Rider, which is he is actually a veteran of the United States Navy. Um, so he came up with the gimmick Freedom Rider. He wore face paint like Sting. So he was a natural babyface. Then I was the natural chicken shit heel back in the way. Um, so we, we had good chemistry together as working against each other. And then we became a babyface tag team at the time. Um, we got over pretty well. Um, and then we got into a feud with the Strong Brothers. And one of those Strong Brothers is Roderick Strong, who is on NXT now as part of Undisputed Era. But I guess they just broke up. Um, one of, he was a great kid, man. I love that guy to death. We were trying we, – side note, we were trying to set up a match on in, in Ring of Honor or um, – evolve and just so we could have one more match together but we couldn't make it work um and then he get, then he gets signed and goes away but we do this tag match and ron nimi decides he wants to um do this double switch angle where we become the heels and they become the baby faces even though they're the heels um so we do this tag team we do this uh steel cage match which i'm pretty sure you can probably find out there somewhere and God, this is so funny. I mean, it's not funny. It's actually scary. But not Roderick, but Cedric um, had never juiced before in a match. So Christopher Daniels was on the show that night. And he showed, I don't know, probably giving away too much here, but everybody knows how we do things now. But <laughs> yeah. 
there's two there's two gigs you can do you can do the small one where you do this or you can do the big one where you do that and that's how daniels did it was the big poke and then move on less scarring and just boom so we do the tag we throw him in the cage cedric hits the pipe boom come does it but he has the poke gig but he did this. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Shit. When I tell you, I can still smell his blood today. I mean, we're, we're all covering it because he's, I mean, he, he had to go get stapled. It was bad. It was really bad. He finished the match. We kept trying to take it home. He would not take it home. He goes, we got to finish. We got to finish. So the very end, we win the belts. And then we just go back crap crazy and just start beating them senseless. They have to send out you know, referees, agents, baby faces, heels, they can't get us off of them. And that, that was our big heel turn. So now all of a sudden, the guys that the fans hated, they had sympathy for. And I mean, they had huge sympathy. And then Roderick bleeding almost, I mean, Cedric almost bleeding out made it easier um, after we, you know, we beat him down at the end. And then we became the pretty much uh, top heel tag team in Florida at that point. Right. Um, and after about the time we merged with NWA Florida, and then that's, you know, we had a bunch of unification matches, us and the, uh, and the Shane twins. Um, they were the Johnsons on TNA, and they were in w- Gemini, I think, for yeah, WWE. Yeah. Um, so we had some pretty good matches with those guys. And I ended up with a ball head in Naturally Marvelous because we did a, I forgot what it was. It was they leave town if they lose. And I somehow got roped into shaving my head if we lose. Okay. Yeah. Side story. My wife wanted my head shaved. My hairline was receding. I saw a match on WWE where the light hit the top of my head and I could totally see through all my hair and just see my scalp. On my it's like time. an x-ray. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> all right, we're going to do a hair versus whatever match, but I'm, we're going to lose and I'm going to shave my head. Cause I'm not, I'm scared to do it myself. So I'm like, if I'm going to do it, they're going to do it to me. Yeah. So we lose it. They shave it. Um, and now I'm, I'm still ball, what, 20 years later or whatever. But <laughs> great matches with those guys. Um, Mike Sullivan is, you know, he was the yin to my yang in Florida. It was a good, good times being with that guy. Um, and we pretty much beat up everybody in Florida as a tag team. So, yeah, good times, good times. Uh, awesome, bro, awesome. And look, at the, as far as going bold is concerned, I know, I know how you feel, bro. I uh, I had tw- twenty years. I had long hair, and in October. Oh yeah, I see it. <laughs> that peninsula broke off from the island, and you got to shave it off. <laughs> we we are bald brothers, and only only we understand each other. Other people don't yes. understand one another. My Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, okay, February twenty third, two thousand two. Big big day in the history of wrestling. Here, it's the first ever Ring of Honor show. ROH, the era of honor begins. Uh, Xavier defeats Scoot Andrews at the show. You're on the first ever Ring of Honor show. This is, uh, you know, an iconic kind of thing here because Ring of Honor still, you know, nearly 20 years later are still going and a lot of companies don't last that long, but they're still there. Must be very uh, important to you and your history in wrestling to have been a part of Ring of Honor. Can you please tell me about what that show was like and, and uh, I guess it, your feelings towards, you know, those early days of Ring of Honor when you were a part of that. So, you know, when you're the first, you're on the first part of the very first show of something that is now what it is. 
you didn't know what it was going to be when you were on it, obviously. Um, it kind of came out of ECWA and Rob Feinstein, or Feinstein, however you pronounce that, um, booked several guys from ECWA to be on this show. Um, and it, it was tied very closely to RF video, if you remember those, that back yeah. in the day. Um, that RF video stands for Rob Feinstein. Um, and he used to videotape everything in the Northeast. And I guess he was a part of it with Gabe for the Ring of Honor thing. Um, and then just, you know, the people that were on it were pretty much all the big guys up in, in the Northeast. So just another Northeast showed up. Us at the time, I guess. Um, we had to do little different things like shake hands at the beginning of the match, shake hands at the end of the match because yeah. it was the year of honor. Of, of honor. Uh, but, you know, it was still low-key. It was still Christopher Daniels. It was still me. It was still AJ. Um, I met I met Xavier there. Uh, I met Danny Math and uh, Rodney Mack. Um, all the, I think the Briscoes were there. So it was like all the guys we already kind of knew. Um, and there were some guys from up in Boston that I had not met. They were great workers. And it, it was just a good time, man. It was a great time. Now, caveat, wrestling fans in Philadelphia – are like no wrestling fans anywhere, yeah. even to this day. So that was my first experience wrestling in Philadelphia. Really? Uh, <laughs> and let me just let you know that uh, if you don't get over in Philly, they will absolutely bury you during your match, which is crazy. So I was super lucky that I had a awesome finish and I had really good music. <laughs> <laughs> So I got, I mean, I was over as soon as I came through the curtain. So that was awesome. Um, and then I think um, Xavier and I had our first match together. And then I think my second match there was against Daniels again, another shocking thing. Uh, we, and we, you know, we did what we did. And I think those two matches got me over with those guys. But I mean, I just saw some people get buried by those fans. Man. Like it, it was bad. It was really, really bad. Um, but if you got on their good side, you were good to go. And I was on their good side, and I was happy to be there. Um, and I think I did maybe five or six matches with those guys. And then, you know, it, it, they just took off. Gabe, back that was Gabe's early days booking. And I just watched a special on him on um, on Vice TV, I think. Yep. Um, yeah, it's called The Wrestler. The series is called The Wrestlers, but it was mm. about indie re- – it was about um, – Evolve and it was Darby Allen, I think, was on it with him. But they were just talking about his rise as a booker, and now he's like booking stuff and help doing stuff with Triple H. So um, he just had a great mind for putting Matt how he wanted the show to look, and he was very, very. And, and I wasn't—I was used to this at WWE, but I was not used to this in the Indies. But he was freaking meticulous about everything. Um, but he was amazing. He was really, really 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 good so yeah. i was honored to get a chance to work with that guy now and now he's blowing up and i'm i can just say i knew him when which is yeah. cool that's cool, cool man yeah no yeah. i i appreciate those people in booking that i uh, like to cross their t's and dot their lowercase j's i just absolutely uh, <laughs> i just think it's uh it's it's vastly important that you're meticulous because you know i did wrestling uh 2010 and 2014 i did it locally here in Perth, Western Australia, and the people booking just not everyone is a creative person. 
Yeah. You can no. learn how to wrestle by getting trained by someone reputable. And you can go back to your home city and start your own group and uh, buy a ring and put it in a gymnasium and have shows. But that doesn't necessitate you being creative where you can write for characters, write for performers, write a proper show that threads from one show to another perfectly. And the, the stories always make sense. So a lot of the time with some wrestling companies, you have someone in charge that isn't a creative person. So it's good that there is a company like Ring of Honor or now Evolve, somebody like Gabe Sapolsky who does that. You know, it's one of the most frustrating things for me as someone who's creative and like, you know, is, is was a wrestler. That was one of the most frustrating things was having someone in charge that didn't really know what they were doing. And, and I don't know. I just wanted to say that. I just think it's important. No, no, you're right. You're right. And I will, I will tell you a quick little story in Jacksonville, that renegade wrestling that I started with. Um, we ended up getting the naming rights from it and we did a TV show probably for six months and we were on, I think we're on the Fox station in Jacksonville and I and hack booked. So I had to do finally my first opportunity with the book doing a TV show that was getting decent ratings. And we were, I mean, we we're filling up high school arenas um, all That's over good. Jacksonville, yep. which was, fun. Um, and that is where my faction, the name of a faction that I started there and then I carried it with me all the way through. And I think it's still actually, um, is a thing, but it was the Alliance of De Alliance of Defiance. All right. So it was me, a guy named Jason Hex, who I think is still maybe wrestling down in Jacksonville. Um, his tag team partner, and I forgot who the fourth member was. Oh, it was Dynamite Slick B, who used to wrestle with uh, Larry Hamilton's um, All Black Federation there in Jacksonville. Yeah. Um, and then the girl who managed me my entire first part of my career um her name is um dawn I, I forgot what her wrestling i think it was miss venus was her work name but we were just really good friends i was kind of like a second dad to her her kid um she worked at hooters and that's when we first met and then i was like you want to get into business she's like sure and we got great heat all over florida so she was our ballet it was the four of us we were basically poor man's four horsemen um mm -hmm. but I, i'll never forget you know writing the tv and our very first TV show, um, we were in the National Guard Armory in Jacksonville, and we wrote it in where, you know, they're going to introduce us to everybody, and they roll up the, they roll up the back door. We pull into the building in a limo. The four of us get out. She gets out. We cut promos. We get heat. It was unbelievable. It was so much fun. Um, but then I ended up having to write TV for six months and. You know, I had a whole new respect for promoters and bookers and, you know, writing TV is nothing like just booking a show. You yeah, know, of course. Yeah. You got 10 minutes, go do your thing. You know, this has to be eight minutes to, to this point. I need you to hit this cue. We got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do this. It was crazy. So I learned a lot about booking. I learned a lot about creativity. Hack had a great mind. So it was super easy. Uh, we did a lot of provocative stuff from like, ECW days when he was there um, and we morphed it into some traditional stuff and you know I took bits and pieces from everywhere I've been and put it all together um, but we had some fun man and the money man ran out of money 
Um, we had a wrestler get hurt because the money man decided he wanted to build his own ring instead of renting one. Uh, so dude hit the ropes, ropes broke. He hit the floor. Yeah, he had oh, life out of there, and then all hell broke loose, and then it fell apart. It always falls apart. Um, <laughs> that's the thing about, you know, most promotions, it always falls apart. That's why you say, like, Ring of Honor still being around is is a true feat because everything usually falls apart at some point on the indies. Um, but now I guess they're not considered an indie. But, yeah, man, that, that takes a lot of work, and for Gabe to still be doing it at a high level is, is mind-blowing, to be honest with you. Yeah, you can run, run out of ideas at some point, right? <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> man. <laughs> and like, you know, just thinking about it, you know, you, you, you have a TV show taking place, you know, the amount of minutes something needs to be and something goes over. So now you have to remember, okay, that was two minutes over. So we're going to have to find out how we're going to cut that up here. And then the next thing might go short. So that might help you out. But then the next thing might go 10 minutes over. You're like, where are we going to find this time to edit this yeah. and post? That oh, yeah. to me would be a nightmare. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was. It was, and then I was the freaking champion, so I had to worry about what I was going to do in my own match. During oh, all this, man. I had to worry about my match. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was, it was worth it. I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. That's great, bro. Uh, another thing that's a, a, a something that I have to bring up: August seventh, two thousand two, you wrestle somebody by the name of Quiet Storm in a dark match for NWA TNA. Um, I think it was their eighth pay per view. Uh, at the time, uh, but you have a dark match. What goes on here? Why, uh, you know, you, you got this opportunity. Why was Scoot Andrews not working uh, more TNA after this? I have no clue. <laughs> we had a great match. Um, and I'm, I, it was in Nashville, as a matter of fact. I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, but, you know, we had a good 10-minute dark match. Went well. Cr- crowd was in it. We were, It popped. It was great. And I never heard anything else. <laughs> so I don't right. know. I have no clue what happened there. None whatsoever. Right. Because like <laughs> to me, like, and, and I want to bring this up because, you know, uh, you're such a big uh, part of the indie scene in the United States at this point. And there's so many people that you've crossed paths with, like a, like a Christopher Daniels, like a CM Punk, like a, American Dragon, like an amazing red, those types of guys, they're getting a bit of a, a run in, in TNA, but Scoot Andrews isn't getting to be a part of that whole, these young guys, you know, X Division, whatever you want to call it, this like all of, all these people that no one's ever seen before, unless you saw AJ and WCW, but all these people you haven't really seen before and they're killing it every single show. And it seems like that's a group of people that you should be a part of. You know, am I just saying this because I'm a big fan of yours or, you know, do you also feel that you should have been a part of that crew as well? I do, but I also think, what, I don't I forget, what year was that? Do you remember what year that was? It's like uh, 02, 03. So, yeah, that is basically about the time when I'm starting to wind down. Right, um, okay. So, I also, I, I've said this many times that, you know, if I would have just stayed in, um, I probably would have gotten the opportunity in that X division because it was all the same guys that I'd been working with all these years. Yeah. Know, low key, all those guys, AJ, everybody. Um, and then, you know, Daniels being there, everybody was there. So I probably would have been a part of that, but that was about the time when, 
I'm now married. I got my first kid. I'm about to have my second kid. I'm trying to have a second kid. My first kid came in uh, 2002, 2003. I'm sorry. We got married in 2002. Um, yeah. So family was a lot more important to me than wrestling at that point. Um, so I was kind of tailing off a little bit. So that that had a lot to do with the X Division stuff. Um, and then now I look at freaking AEW and all the guys are there. I'm like, Jesus Christ, why did I leave? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't change a thing, to be honest with you. That's cool, not. bro. Um, and look, before we get to that part, we starting to wind down and retire. Um, I've got more stuff to bring up and I know okay. we'd be going now just over an hour, but look, I want this to be the ultimate Scoot Andrews interview. I want anyone who wants to know about your career to look at this interview and be like, okay, I got the full story with this interview. So very nice. I, I'm crossing my T's and dotting my lowercase J's. There you go. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, so Okay, more. This is we're scaling back a bit, but more dark matches and TV matches on WWE TV. I wanted to see if there was any little stories here. Uh, late two thousand two, you worked with Spike Dudley and Tommy Dreamer as they defeat you and somebody that we haven't heard much from in the last few years, Michael Shane on Heat. Yes. There's a backstage promo with you guys talking to Spike about getting an opportunity. You talk a little bit of shit about how small Spike is. Tommy walks in. He's all a bit up in arms about it. And then the tag team match takes place. So, uh, yeah. and I thought the tag team match popped, man. The, 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 the crowd went wild for that finish. Uh, tell me a little bit about that match that you had on Heat. So, you know, you get there, you sign in, you get paid, you go to catering, you eat. And Michael and I were sitting there eating and Dreamer comes up, Tommy Dreamer comes up and he pulls up a chair and he goes, Hey guys, I got an idea for a match tonight and we want to do it with you guys, you two. I'm like, all right, this is a rib. Where's the camera? <laughs> this has got to be a rib, right? Cause I don't even know Tommy Dreamer. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Um, so he had pitched for heat that he wanted to do something with two jobbers, if you will. But he wanted to do it with Spike and do the whole, you know, why don't we have a job because Spike's tiny and then go right into the, you know, pre-tape that and then go right into the match. So he picked us two, which I was like, that works for me. I'm good. Let's do this. So we get to do, I get to do my first pre-tape, the WWE, which was cool. Yeah. Um, a little nerve wracking because Vince was in the room. Which wow. Okay. Holy shit. <laughs> so I think, um, Dreamer could tell we were a little bit on edge a little bit. So he had the Dudleys there as well. And to break the ice, we did the first take. And then the Dudleys come walking in with chairs and proceed to go at us like they're going to beat us up. <laughs> and then they pull back and laugh. And they're basically just ribbing us to, to get us to loosen up. Okay. Um, I'll never forget Devon going, who's that talking about Spike? And I was like, oh, dear God, what the hell is happening? That's when I thought it was a true rib. I thought they were going to stop. And we're just going to go do what we normally do. But then we went ahead and got it done. And um, we did the pre-take. It like two cut, two takes, I think. And then we got to do the match. Now, Arn was actually our agent for this match because it was actually on heat. It wasn't a dark match. Um, it was the first time I was on heat, this actual show. Yeah. Um, so Arn did 
laid it out. We 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 put it together. We did it. Like you said, it was the freaking crowd was hot. The finish was on point. They popped like crazy. We came through the curtain, and again, Arn approached us, and I think he said something to the fact that that was an epping great tag match. That's what I want to see in a tag match. Thank you. And he walks off. Awesome. Like we're each other, and we're like, holy shit, we might have just gotten a job. <laughs> and no, we didn't. But the match was freaking phenomenal. I don't think I've ever had a WWE match that had that type of pop at the end. That was fun. That was a freaking blast. And That's I still cool, watch, man. I watch that one every now and then when I want to feel good about myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should, man, because it really was great. And I watched it earlier, and I was like, man, I would have, I would have totally had these two come back the next week and do the same thing again with someone else maybe a crash holly or or whoever sure. if you know maybe him and hardcore holly would team up against you guys and 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 do it again you know and then eventually build up to a point where you guys win a match where you get a contract that's just my wheel spinning that's what i would have done because i thought you two sure. were very good in that little uh backstage sure thing. um yeah. <clears throat> 2003 you work with val venus which airs on international Sunday Night Hate. Uh, Tell me about working with Val Venus. So this is another one that I thought was going to be a rib, but it was, if you remember, Val used to come out and with his towel on and do, say whatever, you know. Hello, ladies. Yeah, that whole thing. And what he wanted me to do was make fun of him. And then, you know, I don't know if you watched the actual match, but as he was doing his spiel, I was cracking up, like slapping my leg, bending over. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. So I do another one, do another one. And then he did like a third or fourth, maybe got to his fifth joke. And when he turned around, I freaking glommed him on top of the head. And then we went into the match. But that was cool because I got to, you know, show some personality and uh, some different other than just putting my hand up when they call my name and then getting beat. So it was pretty fun. And we had a really good time with that match. He was he was super easy to work with. He was great. He was actually really good. Excellent, excellent. Uh, the next one that I wanted to bring up, I believe, is your debut on uh, Velocity. Uh, or maybe it was a dark match. No, it was, no, it was, no, it was on the show because uh, there was commentary and the commentary was just... I don't know what was going on there, but I think there were some inside <laughs> jokes between Joey Matthews and Bill DeMott. But uh, oh, yeah. we wrestled Johnny the Bull Stamboli. And uh, tell me a little bit about that. So it was crazy because that was the night that on Raw that the great Kali was being introduced on TV. Right, okay. So they had a bunch, they had a few extra people as extras that they wanted to, and I don't know if you remember how he was brought out, but he was in a throne and they had a bunch of guys carrying him. Of course, yeah. Carrying him in. And I was supposed to do that and not work that night, which would have been great to get paid just to walk out carrying a guy on your back. Um, But (laughs) Vince flipped out because he wanted all the guys to look the same and I was the only black guy and he didn't he didn't want a black hand showing when everybody else's hand was white which was weird but I was like okay so they go all right we're gonna switch you out with this this guy and you're gonna wrestle Johnny the Bull um okay and then went on to have a pretty decent match he gave me a lot of offense and he got a lot of heat when we got backstage for giving me so much offense (laughs) but you know, ended up being a decent match. He got in a little bit of trouble, but at the end of the day, you know, it worked out. It was a great match. Right, yeah, and I watched that earlier, and I was like, I thought his finishing move was just, 
he had you up for like a press slam and then he like he, he dropped you onto his shoulder and then gave you an f5 it was yeah <laughs> it was like what the hell that was a crazy finishing move i've never seen that move before but it looked like it was kind of difficult to pull off but uh it was easy it was actually pretty easy that's pulled it off quite well so yeah it's freaking strong as hell it's easy for him to pull it off i mean, <laughs> I mean you know, this is a guy, guy that, like that, him, he pressed rikishi like this you know what i mean so if he can do that, i know but guys like him like to work with guys like me because i'm 210 215 so i'm he can throw me around like crazy i mean i looked a lot bigger on tv which worked out but um he could do whatever he wanted to because I, I wasn't that heavy, which was good. So probably why he was able to try out that new finish on me. He can do that with a Kishi. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Maybe just the press slam. Uh, yeah, okay. So we're, we're getting to the tail end here, Scoot. Uh, but I, I couldn't get through this without asking about any road stories where you're traveling to a show, something bad might've happened or maybe a close call where you might've nearly crashed your car or something just crazy happening. Do you have any road stories that you can share with your fans out there? You know, I could share a lot of hack Myers road stories, but I'm not quite sure. I want to defile his memory in that way. That <laughs> good God of my, I got a hundred hack story. Um, I mean, you know, there's the obligatory, he got so hammered, he peed in my car. That would be one. Then he <laughs> grabbed the, my wife's sweater out of the back seat and tried to clean it up before I got back out of the gas station. And then my wife's <laughs> sweater is ruined. That's the kind of shit that would happen with that all the time. Um, there was a story with me and Chris Nelson and Mike Sullivan going to Lafayette, Louisiana for that match that I did with S.A. Rios on I-10 in Florida. And if you know anyone's in America listening to this and they've been on I-10 from Florida to Louisiana knows all it is is four lanes of interstate and swamp and whatever. I mean, there's nothingness, right? Yep. But I pee. So we pull over, I get out. They start driving off while I'm peeing. And I'm running, trying to stay behind the car because I'm I'm freak, I'm scared to death that you know, we're going to get pulled over because I had to pee really bad. It was really, really bad. And then they start to take off and I'm screaming, stop, stop. Those crocodiles are going to get me. <laughs> like, I no damn crocodiles in America. But I was freaking out because I didn't know what I was going to do. I was half hammered anyway. Um, so I ran probably a good quarter mile uh, trying to pee at the same time. <laughs> that was a good one. Um, I did have a close call on an airplane. Um, and... God only knows why I would fly from Jacksonville to Tampa. That's just straight up laziness. But I just back in back then Southwest had a like 35 minute flight from Jacksonville to Tampa. So I took it um, on the way back home. There were tornadoes in Orlando when you fly right over to Orlando to get to Tampa. And when I tell you it was 30 minutes of nonstop dropping and spinning and dropping and spinning. Yeah, by yeah. the time I got off the plane um i had held on to the armrest so tightly that i bruised my forearm wow i can I, imagine I, yeah i knew that was it i thought it was over i thought it was it all i could think about was man i wish wish i had been married i wasn't married at the time but i was like god i'm never gonna be married i'm never gonna have kids i'm gonna die right here it's scary brutal. man i don't care what anyone says 
when I when I feel like bad turbulence in a plane, like it's the worst fear that comes out of me. So I can understand that 100%. I was on a flight to Germany once and I could not handle it. Like it was extremely <laughs> upsetting, <laughs> extremely upsetting. I nearly kissed the ground when I when I got off the plane that time. But uh, I'm now a, I will I'm say, a... <laughs> I will say that I normally sleep through turbulence. So for me to be that amped up, it was that bad. I, I wow. mean, I, I've been on flights where you know, we landed and the person next to me was like, God, you believe how turbulent that was? And I'm like, no, I didn't feel that. Because <laughs> I was sleeping all night. <laughs> Christopher Daniels gave me the best advice you can ever get if you're going to be flying a lot and that is become one with the home. Once you become one with the home, as soon as that plane takes off, you're out. You can't stay away. Right. I can't even wake on a plane now because of him, which is a oh, beautiful thing. I can't wait for that that to happen to me i doubt it ever will but uh <laughs> one of my horrible fears is uh being on a plane but i've got to be on a plane sometimes because i want to see the world uh sure rib stories okay let's see if uh scoot andrews can can rustle up a rib story or two for the fans watching uh do we have to keep this Rated PG? Can we go a little bit? You can, you can say whatever you like. We're from Australia. You can fucking swear all you want. You can do what you can say as you please on the show. All right. I may not have actually done this rib. I participated in distracting the individual in this rib, but there okay. was, God, I hope this guy's not watching this. Um, there was an individual in Florida um, who called himself the mailman. Um, but for some reason, the mailman blew a trumpet or a horn or something as he was walking to the ring with his U.S. mail pack. And I think he was an actual mailman. Um, and his mailman outfit, and he go to the ring. Um, I'm not sure what city we were in, um, but I'm not going to name any of the other cohorts, but I think your friend Mike Moran may have been at this actual show. Um, so I distracted the mailman while one of the old grizzly vets took his trumpet and basically pulled his pants down <laughs> and rubbed it in an area that is not necessarily your front parts, but yeah. not necessarily in your back and rubbed it around there for a few minutes and put it right back in the case. And then the mailman was undistracted as I let him go and his music hit. He took the trumpet and blew it all the way to the right. <laughs> Did he notice? I don't know if he noticed. <laughs> <laughs> but that probably is the hardest I've laughed on a rib in my entire life. And <laughs> I got ribbed once by the great Steve Kern, um, Hack, myself, um, Don, Miss Venus, who I told you was my valet at the time, and Mike Sullivan um, drove from Tampa. To, and I lived in, I had moved from Jacksonville to Tampa at this point, and we drove to a show in Jacksonville only to get to the building, and there was nobody there. What the hell? So um, we started making calls. It was a Sunday afternoon show, which should have been a dead giveaway. Um, but we call Buck Quartermain. I don't know if you know who that is. I've heard the name, yep. Yeah, Buck and I, another great name in Florida that I spent a lot of time with working against. Um, we call him up and we're like, hey, man, where's the show? 
And all he could think, all he could do is go, bro, you didn't drive to Jacksonville on April Fool's Day, did you? <laughs> I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Well, we literally drove from Tampa to Jacksonville, April Fool's Day, on a Sunday afternoon for a show. That was a rib by Steve Kerr. <laughs> so annoying. Good times. <laughs> and you can't be mad at Steve Kern because he's Steve Kern. So yeah. it's not like I want to go back and get in Steve Kern's face. <laughs> so... <laughs> I think Brian Blair had something to do with it as well. So yeah, that was uh, not not a good. That was not a good time driving back home after that. Wonderful. Actually, wonderful. no, we did not go home. I'm from Jacksonville, so we actually went and had dinner with some friends in Jacksonville, just so our whole trip wasn't wasted. So yeah, you know, no, we, good good idea. I think good yeah. idea. <laughs> so we weren't that bitter, but it was. You, that was you had to make a point out of it at that point. You know, you can't yeah. just go back home and. <laughs> Definitely. Look, you mentioned these two words earlier, and I didn't really know what you meant, but I know that there's got to be something behind it. You said something about Jerry Springer. (laughs) Yeah, well, I didn't mean to let that slip. I knew it was going to come back to bite me. Um, (laughs) So they had a producer who liked to use um, professional wrestlers who had not been seen nationally yet. Okay. Um, because I guess maybe we are very good at making it look like we want to fight each other without looking fake, like a lot of those people on Jerry Springer look. Um, so Chris Nelson, who I know I mentioned his name a bunch on here, um, was the contact. And they had pitched to him a story of him being a John to a prostitute, but the prostitute was my girlfriend. So the name of the show was Baby, I'm a Hooker. Um, so I met the girl on the freaking flight there. Didn't even know her. She was a Hooters girl from here in, uh, outside of Tampa in Lakeland. And we go on the show. We get there. We, you know, we get first class treatment. And I will say Jerry treats the guests on his show first class. Limo, anywhere we wanted to go. You get this fake Monopoly money with Jerry Springer's face on it. And it's good for pretty much every restaurant in downtown Chicago. And obviously, you know, they take it out of the spring or budget, but you know, if you, you give them $50 of the Jerry bucks and it pays for $50 of the food. So. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Good times. So we're sitting there and um, Chris's buddy flew himself there just so he could come watch. Now this buddy looked a lot like Charles Manson, not a nice guy, but he looked like Charles Manson. He looked just like, he looked crazy. So we're sitting there getting hammered, eating lobster on Jerry and having a good time. And we're like, yeah, we need to get him in the show. How can we get him in the show? So after hour or two of just getting hammered and having a good time, we decided, you know what? He ought to be her pimp. But he can also be her stepbrother. <laughs> and now she was a white, uh, a white girl. So... Yep. He can also be a racist brother pimp. <laughs> so we get on the phone with the producer and we pitch it and she goes, hell yeah, let's do that. <laughs> so he ends up getting booked. Um, so they send her out. She's a nervous wreck. I remember sitting behind the door um, that you walk through to get to the stage. It's basically just a prop. It's not really a door. I didn't know that kind of made me mad that they use that door. Anyway, I'm sitting behind the door and the, the, um, the um, producer comes up and goes, listen, she's a nervous wreck. We're going to probably have to bring you out early 
to like take over because I, I'm not sure she's going to be able to pull this off. And I'm like, whatever, dude, whatever you need, we'll, 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 we'll get through it. And we pretty much add the whole thing. I'm like, we'll get through it. So I'm sitting there waiting for them to call me out early. And I can't really hear what she's saying and what she's doing, but all I can hear is the crowd, you know, going Jerry, Jerry. And then next thing you know, I hear the crowd going whore, whore. And then I hear, you know, you're a whore. I'm like, what <laughs> in the hell is going on? So I get out there and she's got these people frothing at the mouth. I don't know what she, I, at the point in time, I didn't know what she did. Obviously I've seen the tape now, but she went out there and played a straight up heel and got over like crazy. So when I came out and she was, she was, she was cute. Well, they were expecting me to be like some, you know, typical Jerry Springer looking dude that would come out on Jerry Springer. Well, I came out, you know, dressed nice, pretty muscular at the time. I mean, I walk out and the crowd goes, <gasps> and then all of a sudden I was the big baby face. They couldn't, I mean, it, there were women in the crowd crying. It was so bad. It was that bad. So actually before I came out, a girl charged the stage to beat her ass. That's how much of a heel she was being. Wow. Even those guys had to tackle that woman to the floor and carry her out. So I come out, I'm the huge baby face now. So we had talked all night about the things, the triggers we were going to say to each other to get each other to flip out. And at one point, I wanted to absolutely lose my mind, right? So we're trying to come up with what he could, what Chris could say to me at the, at the time. And I was like, well, if you drop an N-bomb, they're just going to freaking bleep it out. It's not going to have any effect. If you call me anything bad, they're going to bleep it out. If you cuss, they're going to bleep it out. I go, we got to come up with something that you can call me that they won't bleep out that would make me lose my crap, right? So over that course of drinking, I was like, you know what? You got to call me a porch monkey. And he goes, man, I'm not calling you that on TV. I'm like, bro, trust me, call me porch monkey. So we get to the point. Now, granted, we're only supposed to be four segments, and we got the crowd going so well, we bumped three other sets of people that are supposed to be coming on because they're like, keep this going, keep this going. We end up going nine segments. Wow. Oh, my fucking um, God. <laughs> so we get to the payoff, and he goes, you know what? While you're in the gym working and pumping your muscles up, I'm at your house pumping something else up, you freaking porch monkey, and I lost my crap. Amazing. Um, Steve tackles me. I'm crawling, like, trying to get to this guy. My shirt's coming undone. I'm frothing at the mouth. I can't stop. They finally get me back in my seat. Steve does not even know we're workers. He's like, got his hand on my shoulder going, man, that's okay. It's okay. She, she ain't worth it, bro. It, she ain't worth it. <laughs> wow, we got Steve work. This is awesome. <laughs> so um, every time that show was played on as a rerun, we made Talk Soup every single time. Wow. And I don't know if you remember, Talk Soup always showed the best segments of the day. Yeah. We never not made Talk Soup when they played that episode. It was a freaking blast. I That's crazy. Oh, man, I had no idea. Now I'm, I'm going to find this after this interview. You can't find it. It's pre-digital. I got the only really? VHS yeah. copy of it right here, and I ain't showing it to nobody. It's <laughs> nowhere? It can't be found anywhere? It cannot be found anywhere. I looked. It is not out there. It's not, okay. It was Actually, it was six months before my first WWE match, which was in 99, I think. So it would probably, was probably mid-98. And I mean, there was no digital back then. Everything was on VHS. It was all on tape. 
Right. Wow. Well, I mean, geez, if they saw that tape, they might have been like, we need this guy involved in the Attitude Era. Uh. Well, what's crazy is I walk into catering for that very first match in Jacksonville and Big Show sees me and I did not know that they played the rerun the night before uh, Monday Night Raw, which is where we were. Um, so I walk in and freaking Big Show jumps up and goes, that bro, that dude was on Springer last night. <laughs> Like, oh my God. They're all over. I'm like, oh, I don't even, it's my first time in the damn locker room and now I'm the Springer guy, which is crazy. Fantastic. So, yeah. So, it, um, every time I would work for WWE, um, God, I'm out of guess. Peanut head, black guy, manager. Ah, used to be a referee. Oh, Teddy Long. Teddy Long. Teddy Long. Yeah, yeah. Every time I would see Teddy Long, Teddy would be like, man. My wife hates you. Now she knows Springer's fate. Man, I ain't never gonna live this down because of you. Never, I mean, even to this day, he still busts my chops about that shit. <laughs> I have a hard time with names, man. I've had a lot of concussions. So sometimes it, the face is right there. I can't remember. That's but yeah, cool, Teddy, was, Teddy was devastated when he found out over work. <laughs> I'm a little devastated right now. I, I wasn't sure whether or not either way. I guess I haven't. There good. were there were real pimps. There were real ones, on. yeah, but. Okay, well, before I get to ask you why you retired in 2005, I wanted to ask you about working with Antonio Banks, which for those out there may know right now is the uh, head honcho of the Hurt Business, MVP right now, doing the best work of his career. Who would have thought in 2021 that would be happening for him, but he's killing it every single night now. Uh, and there's a there's a proof in the pudding that he you know he's always been great. But you worked with him back then, back in the day, in you know 0405. Tell me a little bit about working with MVP. Oh, it was unbelievable, man. Um, we pitched to Ron Nemi at IPW that we wanted to do uh, black tag team, um, and we were gonna get over in all these little small redneck towns in Florida by, you know, making fun of white people, right? So we decided we were going to be called NWA. And yes, that N stands for what you think it is, yeah. with an attitude. And then we had SoCal Val. Uh, I don't know if you know SoCal Val. Yeah. Val, really good friend. She was our ballet. And we basically treated her like crap, right? It was all the work, obviously. But yeah, um, we would do little things like um, in the middle of our promo and we'd tell her to act like she was, you know, tired or she'd be in the corner with her head down. And we would do little stuff like in the middle of the promo, Val, what's wrong with you? And she would go, I think I have jungle fever. <laughs> 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 and oh my God, we were good. Obviously, you got to think about these redneck towns that we were in in Florida, getting booed out of the building. It was unbelievable. <laughs> That's great. So That's we great. got to have some fun with that. And then, Later on, as I'm about to transition out of the business, I did some one-on-one versus him for uh, FIP here in Florida. Um, but that guy, man, even when he didn't know what he was doing, he was still one of the best on the card every every single night. Um, back in the day, he tagged with a guy called a Punisher, um, and they were probably the most over-tag team in, I've ever seen in Florida back in the day. Um, he's just He's just a solid dude, man. He's not anybody you want to mess with either, but he is a <laughs> solid, solid dude. I'm glad he was on my side every time. Um, 
but we still talk we still talk from here to there man i i saw him on that wrestlers that thing i told you about gabe sapolsky they did one on him traveling with him and his when he was out of wwe before he went back right and he's now got a kid that you know the biggest thing for him and and a lot of people may not know this if they haven't seen any interviews with him recently but his biggest driver right now is the fact that his kid gets to watch him work on TV and gets to see MVP and when daddy comes home, they watch MVP together. <laughs> so son's already kind of figured out that my dad is MVP, but he's still dad. But when he's on TV, he's MVP. And he's like, it was so cool. And I, I think he recently had him at a pay-per-view for the first time. Oh, and wow. That's great knows that was the biggest night of his life for his kid to look up and see the dad in the ring. I'm like, man, that is cool. That is super cool. Um, I have two girls. They're both teenagers now. And every time I'll do a spot show here, they don't even want to come anywhere near their ring to watch me. Are you crazy? But uh, yeah, his kid is what's driving him right now. And I think that's why he's doing his best work because he's doing everything for the kid to actually see his dad do well. So yeah. yeah. Absolutely, man. It's like, I think he was only supposed to be brought in for the Rumble and maybe the night after the Rumble where he wrestled Ray. And I think he had just done, this is just, I didn't read anything. I never heard anything, but my point of view is he must've just done such a good job and they like, they're like, I've got to bring him in. And then things snowball and all of a sudden he's a part of the biggest thing that's on television right now in wrestling. So I I do believe that is exactly what happened. Um, We actually, texted um during like right after the rumble um and i was like dude what the hell are you doing back in back on tv and he's like man hey if it's one shot or two shots i gotta take them so that tells me that it was like one or two shots and he was gonna be back home and i he did so well they kept him on and now he's killing it yeah now I, 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 world champion i guess i didn't even know he last he won the title so i was on twitter this morning i'm like what the hell yeah you know that He's got the belt. I think they got the tag belts too. And it's like, uh, I, I bet you it's this. They, they put him on TV and they'll realize, damn, we, I think we kind of forgot how good he is. And, yeah. and uh, we should have brought him back years ago. Why didn't we bring him back years ago? We're, we're going to have to bring him in now because he's obviously a valuable part of the show right now. And, you know, no, nobody, even back in the day, he was as good on a stick as he is now. Which in Ali is Ali being is himself, which is makes it easy when you're being yourself. Like you know, Steve Austin was himself. That's why it was so easy for him to be that character. Yeah, you can tell it's not, it's not forced. Um, but he is just unbelievable on the stick, and I think that is what has carried him along with his work, his ability to work. You know, some people are good on the stick and suck in the ring. Some people are great in the ring and suck on the stick. He is very good on both. And I think that is why you're starting to see him. And I remember when he was at NXT and he was trying to develop a character and he actually pitched that MVP thing to me. And I was like, I don't know, bro. I don't know if Vince would like that. (laughs) And here he is. Good thing he didn't listen to me. (laughs) Good, bro. Yeah. And you know what? Like he deserves it. He deserves it. He's yeah, he does. He absolutely does. Uh, okay, the big question, I, you've already alluded to it, but why did you decide to retire in 2000? Family. Family. Um, 
I had my first kid, a girl, she was a girl and you know, wrestlers are usually punished for all their bad deeds. So God gave me a second girl. Um, but you know yep. what? I just heard all the stories and all the things of all the boys who worked all the time and missed, missed their kids. Absolutely missed their kids growing up, missed everything. And I did not want to be that guy. Um, yep. You know, I grew up with a single mom. Um, I did not want my kids to grow up with just their mom and me, you know, in and out all the time. So that was the driving force. Um, the wife basically told me I have a choice. <laughs> um, you know, the oldest one was starting to do gymnastics and, you know, those are on the weekends and I was not going to miss any. Yeah, man. Happened. You want to see that stuff. You want to see that yeah. stuff. Not, not through yeah. like a, like a phone that recorded it. You want to see yeah. it. Yeah. And I just remember, man, just being a kid and my mother didn't miss one little league football game, one high school football game. I think the first time she missed a football game that I played in was when I was away at college. So right. I wanted to do, do the same thing for my kids. And to this day, you know, they're both high school age. The oldest is going to college next year. She's on the one of the number one all-star competitive cheerleading teams in the world. Uh, called Brandon Senior Black. Um, wow. And I don't miss, you know, I, I have, we have to divide and conquer because my youngest is on a super competitive all-star soccer team. So the wife typically flies to the rep, to the cheer events and I watch those on um, Varsity TV, which is the live streaming service. But I don't miss a soccer game. And if, if she's competing in Orlando or in locally, I don't miss anything. So I did not want to be that guy. And... I just pick family over wrestling and I get to scratch. I still get to scratch that itch every now and then, but yeah. Um, I wouldn't trade that time with these kids for a TV contract anywhere. Would not trade it for any of that stuff. So that's good, bro. No props to you. And you, you already had yourself set up in life, having something to fall back on, which was your main source at the time as well you know, your yep. job. So it's great that you've done that and you've been, you know, there for your kids and your family. So uh, much props to you. Another great moment is the East Coast Wrestling Association putting you in their Hall of Fame. So that's nice for you. Tell me a little yeah. bit about how that uh, how that went and, and what took place. So after Super 8, um, I guess Kettner decided that you know, I was over enough with his crowd that he was going to continue to bring me back. And then he ended up putting the uh, ECWA title on me for a year and a half, I think, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit less. Um, and I got to work, obviously, Christopher Daniels, Low Key, um, American Dragon, Daniel Bryan, um, the Mean Street Posse, Simon Diamond, all these guys, man. So it was a good, good run with those guys. Um, ended up finally losing the strap to uh, Prince Nana from the embassy. Um, but, you know, that year and a half, being I, I was kind of quasi-baby. I was kind of gray area. I was, it depended on who I was working, whether I was a heel or a baby face. I could go either way. And I think that's why I kept the strap for so long. And then, you know, being gone for a while and then him just calling out and asking if I wanted to come back up to be inducted. And I, was, and I looked at the, all the people that were already in. I'm like, uh, yeah. Yeah, man. 
<laughs> so yeah, went up, man. They played this cool highlight video. Got to make a speech. The crowd gave me a standing ovation, man. It was it was one of the oh, that's ones. lovely, man. That's really nice that someone who worked their ass off uh, for all these years got the opportunity to be celebrated. Um, you know, in an area that you you'd done so much work in. So to me, that feels good to to know that you had that moment, my friend. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I know you've wrestled out every now and then since then, you know, it's always difficult. You, you, you leave the business, but you, you miss that rush of being in front of the audience. You miss being creative. You miss coming up with the stuff that you've come up with for years where you're working on a match backstage with the guy that you're about to get in the ring with, you know, sure. that process is always something that's, you know, it's ingrained in you. So, you know, maybe you haven't done it as much but you know tell everyone out there how many times have you been working since 2005 <laughs> is it once a year is it a couple times a year what do you what is it that scoot andrews does um it's been about once a year once every two years um most recently two years ago um ron Nimi pitched an idea of doing a show with a lot of the evolved guys versus the old IPW guys. So it was the show was actually called um, Days of Future Past. And it was an old guy versus a new guy or old tag team versus a new tag team. Right. Um, somehow I got roped into being um, one of the only singles matches on this card. Um, yep. I'm 53, so I was 51 at the time. And um, I had to go one-on-one -on -one with Austin Theory. <laughs> Shit. so now needless to say i mean i knew this was going to be a tall task so i literally started training for this thing like eight months prior um i mean i really 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 trained hard i was at the ring three days a week um at the wwn training center out in uh pinellas the guys that are kind of behind evolve um then I would go to Jay Lethal's school whenever that one was closed and work with him and his students. Uh, where with you know, Jay is a good friend of mine. Uh, he always jokes every time he sees me that his dad is my biggest fan. I'm like, dude, come on, man, <laughs> come on. you're old and you're telling me your dad is my biggest fan. That's a compliment, but it's really not. Um, but you know, I put in a lot of time to get ready for that match, and you know, I didn't know what to expect. I've seen a lot of videos of the kid, and he looked like a million bucks. But he reminded me of a young Christopher Daniels just wow. for his, with his mind in the ring. Um, his mind is, far exceeds his years. Um, I let him call the whole match because I can't even, I, it's really hard when you're not doing it all the time to call a match because you forget, I mean, Hack told me this was going to happen and I told him he was crazy, but he goes, at some point in your career, you're going to forget more wrestling than you actually, than you know. You're going to forget more than you know. So I'm, you know, I'm at the schools training, trying to get ready for this thing, and I can't even put spots together. I'm like, what is wrong with me? I used to, be to do this like in my sleep. Yeah. So we get to the show, and I'm like, dude, let you call the match. Let's do this. So he called it. Great match. Um, I was, I've been told it's the best match on the show. Um, but it, it was a blast. And now look at it. I knew he was gonna make it, but Jesus, I knew it was gonna be this quick. Um, <laughs> but he's a he, that kid is an unbelievable talent, man. He's like, a, I would say he's more like a savant in music. Like a 12-year-old kid who's never seen a piano, he can get up there and play Beethoven just by looking at the keys. 
That's yeah. what that guy in the ring. It was unbelievable. I was I was blown away. I, cool, I, I texted him. Uh, I actually I, I DM'd him on, on Twitter as soon as that match was over, and I was like, "Thank you, thank you, thank you for for you know taking care of an old man, but thank you for a great match." And he was like, "Oh, Scoop, pleasure's all mine, dude. I'm I'm in awe." I'm like, "No, bro, I'm in awe. That was an off. That was an awesome match." So glad to see he's doing well. Um, and I mean, he's killing it. So hopefully, you know, he'll be a WWE champion one day. And I can say I worked that dude when I was 51. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be great, man. Would you say that that is potentially your last match? Or would would there be something else that could convince you to do another one? So after that match, um, I, <laughs> I, I mean, I still work out, obviously. But I just did not see myself training that hard again for a match. And... I don't want to go into a match not able to do it the way the, the way I'm capable. Um, you know, a lot of the older guys are like, man, just go in there and have fun, take it easy. But I just can't go in. I don't – if someone came to see me, I don't want to go out there and not give them my all. And if I can't give them my all, I don't want to do it. So, I, Ryan is, was pushing hard WrestleMania weekends coming up here in April and he's pushing, pushing, pushing for this, uh, no hold barred promotion that he's associated with. Um, he keeps telling me all these people are finding me on, on YouTube and they want me on the show, blah, blah, blah. I think he's just blowing smoke to get me on the show, but, um, <laughs> pushing, pushing, probably listen, Ron, I, first of all, I I'm coaching high school football. My kids are full swing in their sports. I just, and I work full time. I literally just don't have the time, but I was like, I will manage. I will guess referee. I'll do whatever you want, but I'm not going to do a match. So he took that and ran with it already. Already put out a poster that making an appearance, Black Nature Boys. So I guess I'm managing somebody. I don't know what we're going to do there, but I will be a part of WrestleMania week as a manager, but the boots are gone, man. I sold them. I got rid of them. So <laughs> I'm done. Good, bro. Good. That's, and that's great. Look, your last match was against a phenomenal athlete and performer. So, um, nice. you know, that's great, dude. And and you can look back and, and, and have no regrets on how that ended. And even if you dip your foot in here and there as a manager or being a part of shows, you know, those younger people will certainly, uh, it will help them getting the knowledge from you and talking to you just for a five minute conversation, I'm sure will will help them. Out. Absolutely. Man. And it was, it was very crazy because uh, backstage at that show, or I don't, maybe it was another one. That was not the last one. I take that back. I did do a taxi mask. Um, but, <laughs> um, but Connor from, um, I forgot what their name was. The Ascension. And the Ascension. Yeah. He, uh, I walked into the locker room. And I, I put my bags down. I'm walking around, you know, saying hello to everyone. And I'll walk up to him. He's like, oh, my God, dude, I love watching you when I was a kid. I'm like, oh, God, Jesus. <laughs> I, I mean, it was great. But I'm like, dude, you're like on TV now. And you're telling me you like watching me when you were a kid. That is awesome. <laughs> I feel old. I'm going to go outside and take my Geritol. Um, <laughs> but I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the name uh, Billy Fives because that is who I have done a lot of my post-retirement stuff against. Okay. Um, and we kind of made a pact that the only way we would do a show is if it was against each other. And we held firmly on that for a long time. 
Um, so I would probably say four or five, maybe six times we worked each other since then. Um, but he is another one of those friendships that I forged out of this business that has lasted through this all the way till now. Um, but, and I don't know if you know or familiar with his work at all, but you know, Billy, Billy is one hell of a talent. He was trained by Rusty Brooks, um, who just passed away. Um, so, you know, maybe I'm pitching him to get on your show maybe one day, just saying. Um, of course. But yeah, Billy and I go way, way back to, back to the time when I didn't even know what the hell I was doing and we were working each other. And neither one of us really knew what the hell we were doing, but we pull it off somehow. Um, but yeah, he, him and I did a lot of stuff together in this post-retirement time and, um, and Sullivan and I did a couple too as well, but yeah, I didn't want to get, I didn't want to get through this podcast without, you know, giving Billy some time. No, cool, man. Awesome. No, uh, you know, if you, if you wanted to, to put that out there, then, you know, I appreciate it. You know, you, you know, if this is the ultimate Scoot Andrews interview, then, you know, Absolutely. the floor Absolutely. is yours to, to, to tell me. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know of him, but I will do some, uh, looking into his career and uh, you know, I'd be happy to talk to him because I'm sure if you vouch for him, it's going to be a great show. <laughs> yeah. He actually did the super eight the year after I did. And then okay. him, and I, him and I did a ladder match for the uh, ECWA title in Delaware, probably a year after that. So I think he's one of the last matches I had before I dropped the strap to Prince. No, no. So. Okay, cool. He's really- um, any regrets, anything you would like to change from your time in the professional wrestling business? Not a thing. Yes. Not a thing. That's what I Not like to hear. So many, so many people have all these regrets and, uh, you know, I think living with regret is a bad thing. So if you don't I, have, well, them, let me change that. I have a small, one. Oh, here we and go. I, <laughs> I wish I had started in the business at a younger age. Um, by the time I actually broke in, I was near 30 years old. I was late twenties. Um, I, I do think that was a factor in never being signed because I was already 30 years old by the time I, um, I think if I had been in my twenties, things may have been, may have ended up a little bit differently, but the caveat there is I wouldn't have the life that I have now. Exactly. If I had broken in earlier. So. Exactly. No regrets. No regrets. Exactly, bro. If you broke in earlier, live, you know, the butterfly effect, things would have, different things would have happened and you might not have met your wife. You might not have the kids you have now. So absolutely. Yeah. Let's settle on no regrets because I think uh, your family, uh, that defines you and and, and what you are now, you know, that means the most. So absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent, bro. Uh, before we get to five second frenzy, Scoot Andrews, do you want to plug anything that you're doing right now? Let everyone know where to find you on your social media if you want them. To, if you want them to find you, uh, absolutely. And, and uh, yeah, anything that you want to plug of what you're doing in life right now. So yeah, you can find me on Twitter um, at BNB Scoot Andrews. Um, you know, follow me. I'll follow you back, and you can. DM me, you know, post whatever you want to do, but I will respond. Um, crazy enough, lately I've been getting a lot of mail from people with pictures that they won't sign. I'm not quite sure how they found my address, which is a little scary. <laughs> that is weird. Yeah. I even had a guy in Ireland send me uh, a little wow. card to sign, which is cool. Um, so that's cool. 
but yeah, currently what I'm doing now, man, is just working um, and coaching high school football at Wiregrass Ranch High School here in uh, in, in Tampa, Florida, um, and just following these girls and making sure that they are the best they can be. Got a uh, oldest who is making a decision on what college to go to and thinking it's going to be Florida State. Um, so hopefully that happens. And the youngest is trying to get a scholarship playing soccer. So that is my life right now. Is those two and my wife and I getting them and chasing them and doing whatever they need for it to do. So that's <laughs> what we're doing. Awesome, very awesome. Uh, you know, and I really appreciate your time on the show here tonight. Um, but we we can't finish it off until we get through five second frenzy and Scoot okay. Andrews five second frenzy. It's about ten to twelve quick fire questions. There are a couple about wrestling, but they're mostly about other things in life, just to get to know you a little bit more. Okay, are you ready? Yes, sir. Here we go. Number one question: Your favorite wrestler? Ric Flair. I I, I saw that one coming. <laughs> your favorite opponent over the years christopher daniels i saw that one coming too all right i'm two out of two <laughs> favorite match that you've ever had i know this is a tough one for a lot of people to answer favorite match i've ever had would probably be the tag match against the strong brothers with mike Sullivan. yep cool uh your favorite book um it's your ship by where the hell is it i have it right here actually good catch <laughs> yeah, what, did you catch you see that yeah <laughs> uh it's your ship by michael abrashoff okay right he's a Excellent. navy guy who pushed against all the norms and ended up changing the strategy of the way the navy operates just by thinking differently so i i use a lot of the concepts out of that book with my kids and coaching and work and my job and the people that work for me. So my favorite book is it's your shit. Excellent. Uh, so anyone out there who needs help in those areas of your life, read that book. It's obviously, uh, it's obviously helpful. Uh, favorite TV show. Sanford and son. Very nice. Favorite oh. film. Favorite film is coming to America. <laughs> with a slight, Slightly ahead of Forrest Gump. Those two are my favorites. Very nice. Yeah, no, uh, coming to America. I, I know that there's a second one coming out. I really hope that they don't mess this up. I hope it's just... I do too. I do too. It's going to kill me. It's, it's tough, bro. I'm, I'm, I loved Zoolander. And then when they brought out Zoolander 2, hopefully yeah, I'll repeat the performance of that. Uh, favorite musical artist? Oh, my God. Wow, that's tough. Um... Public enemy. Nice, bro. Very cool. Uh, favorite food? Steak. We get steak a lot. We get steak a lot on the show. Steak and pizza are probably the most yes, sir. popular <laughs> with, uh, pro wrestlers. Uh, favorite place to eat on the road? Outback. We get Outback. We get uh, Cracker Barrel. We get Waffle House. Uh, those three are. Well, Again. favorite place to eat on the road after drinking all night would be Waffle House. Okay. <laughs> awesome. I've, we don't have Waffle House in Australia, so one day when I'm over oh my there. God, that's a travesty. <laughs> it is. It's a travesty. Uh, <laughs> uh, favorite alcoholic beverage? That it recently changed to bourbon. It used to be vodka, uh, clubs, vodka club soda with a lime, but now it is just straight bourbon. 
Straight bourbon. That's that's hardcore, bro. That's on a, well on the rocks. On the rocks. On the rocks. Okay. Well, still, that's pretty cool. Um, I'm still yet to uh, to uh, get myself to the point where straight liquor on ice. I can do that. I just I could do red wine. I could do beer, but I need to mix things with coke, unfortunately. Anyway, Absolutely. this isn't about me. This is about you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> second last one here for Five Second Frenzy. Scoot Andrews. Is the naughtiest one of Five Second Frenzy your favorite female body part? But easy. Yeah, not even close. Not even close. (laughs) A lot of wrestlers are ass men, bro. So uh, you got a lot of company there. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the final one, Scoot Andrews, your favorite curse word? Damn it, which is not really a cuss word. It's uh, in the 1940s. It was it was yeah. quite offensive yeah. uh, to say, yeah. say "damn" uh, or "damn it." Uh, <laughs> but um, no worries, bro. That's the end of Five Second Frenzy, and I just want to say, hey, I I appreciate the fact that you took the time to talk to me here today and tonight for me. Uh, it's now one in the morning, and I've got this much left of a bottle of wine. <laughs> So you know I've had a good time when I've had this much to drink within the space of two hours. But uh, Scoot Andrews, man, you're a wrestling legend there in Florida in the ECWA. All the all the companies you wrestle for down there, man. Everyone knows you there. Everyone loves you. And I want you to know, f- fuck this guy from Ireland, okay? I live in Australia. I'm in a different hemisphere. I'm the furthest fan away that you have... I want to be numero uno. That's me. I'm the number one longest far journey fan that you've got. And I want you to know from Perth, Western Australia, the most isolated city in the world that someone here appreciated you and your work back in the day. I appreciate that, man. Thank you so much. And, uh, just glad. uh, I'm just glad that my name is still known. That's the only thing I can say, man. It's humbling. No worries, my friend. And I just, again, thank you so much. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it, man. I had a blast. Thanks, Scoot. And, and, and I will let Mike Moran know I had a blast. He told me <laughs> he told me that it was going to be fun. I was like, I'll let you know, man. I'll let he, you know. He's a very good friend of the show, and he always helps me out with interviews now. We've become very good friends. We talk almost every day. So uh, uh, when I told him that I was getting you on the show, he was like, oh, that's great. Like, I can't wait to watch that. So, yeah. He's been helpful. And uh, again, Scoot, thank you very much. Thank you, man. Have a great day. Well, I guess you're going to have a great night. I'm going to have a great day. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, bro. And thank you to everyone out there for watching the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm your host, California, along with my new friend, Scoot Andrews, and we will see you next time. Thank you.